In today's show, we're looking back at the 2020-2021 season for the Philadelphia 76ers, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We are here to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, of course, a team with lots of intrigue regarding what the hell happened during this season and their playoff loss in the second round to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Got to tell you, though, today's show is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me uh, join me and Locked On hosts on the Spotify Greenroom app today. Guys, Philadelphia, the Sixers, not a great season. I'd say that's, uh, that's not true. A very good regular season, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and then uh, a not very good playoffs. 49 and 23, the 13th best offense, the second best defense under Doc Rivers, 11th in pace. They have the 28th pick in the draft, they have the 50th pick in the draft. Um, Yeah, that's fine. They're not going to get game changing talents there, but of course, things went to shit. Blown leads. Blown leads in series, blown leads in games, losing to the Hawks in the second round as the one seed. Uh, Joel Embiid injury, again, even though he was playing in the playoffs, he wasn't particularly looking good. And of course, the massive issue that is Ben Simmons and where the hell his career sits and what Philadelphia is going to do with him moving forward is anybody's guess. Daryl Morey is now in his second season as GM for Philadelphia. So what sort of changes can he make? Is a Ben Simmons trade on the horizon? Is that much rumored Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum deal? Something that could happen. Would that actually benefit Philadelphia? Yeah, there is so many question marks about this squad and about what they do because, again, another playoff failure. And and for the number one seed, getting to the second round and losing to an a, a team, like an underdog team like the Hawks, who had their own injuries, you know, Hunter, no Reddish, an injured Bogdanovich, is a, a disappointment. Yeah, Doc Rivers has had these disappointments in his career before. And the Sixers need to be better than this. Is the solution to that trading Ben Simmons? I don't know because how the hell do you get value back? Can you make your team better? If anyone can do it, I think it is Daryl Morey. I think he's got that ability to turn Simmons into a piece or pieces that may seem worse on the surface but actually fit better with Joel Embiid. But to a degree, like you need to be going all in now with Embiid. Like He's 26 um, lots of injuries. You don't expect him to be playing high levels into his you know, 32, 33. So he's 27. You've got to go for it now. You've got to make these moves. And Simmons is just about to turn 25. You've got to start to make these moves now, building around Embiid. And I do think that some movement will be coming from this Philadelphia team in the offseason, whether that is a Simmons trade or it's a Tobias Harris trade, or it's both. I don't know. But Maury will be looking to be pretty active, I would imagine, in uh, trying to make things better. In terms of free agency on this team, there's Danny Green, there's Furkan Korkmaz, there's Prison Mike Scott. As my microphone falls down, thanks Obi for knocking that down. Obi, actually, you're going to move off my lap. Yeah, do you want to say hello to everyone? 
There he is, the big fella. He's moving off because he's going to knock things. Danny Green, Furkan Korkmaz, Mike Scott, Dwight Howard, they are all unrestricted free agents. And then George Hill, Paul Reed, and Anthony Tolliver have non-guarantees. I think Hill is going to be a huge part of any trades that the Sixers make in this offseason. So that will probably end up meaning his contract does get that guarantee. I think Paul Reed will be back and Tolliver uh, don't really care. Danny Green, you would imagine they try to bring him back. Losing him in the playoffs was massive. He is just a winning player who provides what you need. The stats never look sexy, but he's really good. So I think they look to bring him back. Um, Mike Scott, no way. Howard, potentially. And I think they'd like to, I don't know why I wrote Corkman there. Like, what the hell is that? That's just horrible, horrible typing for me. I think Corkman's, uh will be back here for Philadelphia, uh, or they'd like to bring him back. But I reckon he's got some suitors as a pretty strong suitor. But when he was put into that starting lineup with Danny Green out, Things didn't go particularly well. So some massive, massive decisions that Daryl Morey does have to make in this upcoming offseason for Philadelphia. And let's see if he's successful in getting things that up, do upgrade this team. If you want to upgrade your protein bar game, the Built Bar is the way to go. They are the best tasting protein bar ever, but it's not just about the taste. It's not just about them being delicious. They are good for you. They are healthy. And if you're looking to lose or maintain weight, like myself, I'm having Built Bars at the moment. Over the last month, I've lost 18 pounds. Really yeah, focusing in on nutrition and, and having these built bars to give myself what feels like a delicious treat, but it's also really good for me with its yeah, low low calories, but high protein, low sugar, low net carbs, and high fiber and delicious flavors. Coconut, that's my favorite, I think. Oh, is it raspberry? I'm not sure. I like both of those ones. Mint brownie, salted caramel. And if you don't know what your favorite flavor is, get a mixed box. 18 bars, nine flavors, two of each bar, enabling you to sample the great range at Built Bar. So go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. The promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the players here in Philadelphia and we have to start with Joel Embiid. 51 games for Embiid. This season, of course, another year where he missed plenty of time. That's just the standard for Embiid at this stage. 31 minutes a night, that's a little bit low. But he averaged almost 29 points, 11 rebounds. He hit a three per game, 1.4 blocks, a steal, 51 and 86 as his shooting percentages, 38 from three, a true shooting of 64%. They are just amazing numbers. He was the sixth-ranked player in points leagues, the fifth-ranked player in category leagues. Again, of course, he missed plenty of time. But... Yeah, who didn't really at this stage and still was worth that first round selection, um, even though you didn't have to draft him in the first round. His ADP was at 17, but he's going to produce another really interesting question next year because we know on a per game basis, he'll be a top 10 guy, maybe not fifth, but a top 10 player. But do you take that risk with the injuries? And you don't really ever think that Embiid's going to be able to avoid injuries the rest of his career and saying he's constantly going to miss 20 games, but he could. And that's, that's a potential issue. But I said that yeah, he played the 31 games. The year before, he played under, uh, sorry, 31 minutes. He played under 30 minutes a game the, the season prior. So at least that was able to improve, but that's not back at his best level where he was at 33 minutes a couple of seasons ago. I said, look, he's 27. We're talking about him from a dynasty perspective. Have you got three years left of him being a first-round guy? Um or in a second round guy, just because you think injuries will keep adding up and you don't get the feeling that Embiid's going to have a super, super long career. But he's obviously awesome. Like, he is definitely awesome. He's a very good defender, although I think he did drop off a little bit defensively this season. Um, offensively, he's the best post-up man in the NBA without any doubt at all. Great isolation guy. The three-point shooting came together. He's not a great passer. We know that from him, but just 
absolutely outstanding numbers, second in the MVP for a reason. Look at all those advanced metrics. A's absolutely across the board, a couple of A minuses mixed in there, but absolutely astonishing type numbers. It, true shooting percentage of 64% is out of control. Look at all the offensive stuff. Like Obviously, as a spot-up guy, he's not ideal. Not a pick and roll, not a good pick and roll role man, but the Sixers don't really run many of those also. Um, but working as you know, putbacks and isolation and post up, you know, this is 98th percentile stuff is as a post up player. He just is actually uh, an amazing offensive player who puts up fantastic fantasy numbers. The best season of Joel Embiid's career. Just unfortunate we didn't get more games, and unfortunate that the surrounding talent wasn't able to get him through uh, in the playoffs because. How many more years of this level of Embiid do we have left? I would I would say not a huge amount at this stage, unfortunately. Because we all want to see guys like Embiid um, putting together some uh, some big years and, and carrying a team through to the playoffs. Next, let's look at the thick hogsman, Tobias Harris. Um, I think I am a TH. T to the H. Yeah, TH for life. Yes, TH for life indeed. Tobias Harris played 62 games, 33 minutes a night for the year. He was the 49th ranked player in points leagues and really good 35th in category leagues. He had some really big numbers early in the season where he was shooting the lights out and getting a ton of defensive stats. That did tend to drop off as the season went on, but averaged 19.5 points, 7 boards, 0.9 steals, 0.8 blocks, 3.5 assists with a great 60% true shooting. So again, really, really strong regular season numbers. But as so often been the case with Tobias Harris, you come to the playoffs and things do tend to drop off for him. But overall, the numbers were really good. He had his best ever fantasy season, mainly because he was able to get a career high in assists, but also a career high in in blocks and close to a career high in steals, where he's always been historically pretty low. 0.7, 0.6 last year, 0.6, 0.5 the year before that, and he went to 0.9, 0.8. And that really is one of the differences, as well as going from 47 to 51 from the field and 81 to 89 from the line. So big Big efficiency step-ups from Tobias Harris is what pushed him into that top 40. I would not want to bank on a repetition of those for next season. Um, again, because that if that blocks go from 0.8 to 0.6, if the field goals go from 51 to 47, and the last 30 games of the year, he was under 50% from the field. Yeah, and that drops him down from being the 35th best player to the 60th best player. It's as simple as those things just falling off absolute bees dick margins then yeah, the value absolutely just starts to disappear for Tobias Harris. So just be aware of that when we look at next season and we look at his ranking this year and go, he was excellent and all that sort of stuff, which which he was. Um, I'm not sure that it's that it's one of those things that is 100% sustainable on that elite free throws with that big jump in field goals as well. Um, it, it does lead to some some skepticism from me that it is able to continue, but does well as a post guy, does some really good isolation stuff. His uh, perimeter shooting was really good throughout the season as well. 39% from three, which is yeah, a really, really solid number on a decent volume. You'd hope for a little bit more, just 3.4 attempts per game. You'd hope he does a little bit more there. But overall, he was, again, really, really solid as a good shooter. You just want him to do a little bit more from the outside there. The advanced metrics generally liked him, even defensively. Although Raptor was quite down on him defensively, but everything else, he graded out really well. Yeah, Elite true shooting numbers, good shot creation stuff, good isolation numbers, good transition, and a pick a roll ball handler, which he wouldn't have done too many times. His fantasy possession numbers, again, look at the counting stats, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. They're not 
great. A lot of it was fueled by that big jump in efficiency, which of course impacts three-pointers, impacts points scored as well. So if there is a drop-off there, they are multi-category influences. And if he steals and blocks do return to some of his career numbers, then there is going to be somewhat of a drop-off in Tobias Harris's overall production. But still a very solid, very good mid-round player that I think might find it hard to get back to that, uh, that top 35 range that he was at this year. Now here's one where I don't really know how to fully address this situation, and that is Ben Simmons. It is, without doubt, a disappointing season and a regression from Ben Simmons. We were saying this before the playoffs, that his year, and fantasy people know this, that his year was nowhere near as good as it's been in the past. He was a 24th-ranked player last year in category leagues. This year, he was 66th. His ADP was 37th. Um, and that, you know, yes, we know that he's a punt guy and he's better than 66 that you're punting free throws. He had 61% from the line. But even last year, with the free throws, he was 24th. He played 32 minutes a game. He had 58 games played. He averaged 14, 7, and 7 with 1.6 steals. So they're really good assists, good rebounds, good steals. 56 from the field is really good. But the offensive numbers continue to, to disappear from him. He's averaged 16 points in his first three years. He was down to 14 this season. His assists actually dropped from 8 to 7, and that's significant. His steals went from 2 to 1.6, so a significant drop. The free throws have always been a problem. We know that. But what he's doing there is just losing that little bit in, losing some rebounds, losing an uh, uh, losing a rebound, losing an assist, losing half a steal, losing two points per game. It all led to him being a very, very large disappointment this season from a fantasy perspective. I said this... The other day, I think it was unlocked on NBA, but yeah, this is all in so much of this is in Simmons's head. He is not this passive as a, or he shouldn't be this passive an offensive player, but he has a mindset that he, if I can't be the absolute best at something, I'm just not going to do it. He is, he's unselfish to a fault that it makes him selfish. He's like, I can't do this. I need to give it to someone else who can do it. And that might seem unselfish on the surface by saying, well, I'm just passing it off to my teammates to do things better. But in the end, he's at open shots and not taking them. That's putting way too much pressure on your teammates to do things in a situation that they're not equipped to do. And that is, in fact, selfish because you are not taking the shots that you need to take. I have no doubt that Ben Simmons can start taking jumpers outside of the paint. I have no doubt that Ben... Look, Ben Simmons can take one, one and a half threes per game and make them at 33%. I think he can do that. But he doesn't believe that he can do that. So therefore, he won't. And I don't know how you'd get that mindset out of him. Because he can be more aggressive offensively. He had a 22 usage as a rookie, down to 21, down to 20, down to under 20 this season. It just goes down and down and down. The ball just comes out of his hand. And it's getting to a stage where it feels irredeemable, that it can't be changed. And that's a massive issue. That, that Simmons just can't get these, get this offensive aggression back into his game. And I, in Philadelphia, I just don't think it's ever happening. He finishes around the rim fantastically. He's a great defender. He's a very good passer, especially in transition. But the lack of willingness to take a shot, not only to hit the shots, but to take the shots, kills him. It kills his value. It kills the team's value. He needs a lot of work. And I don't think a lot of the work is necessarily on his shot if he was a normal player because, again, he can hit them at, I think, at an okay level. 
But for him to be actually confident in taking those shots, he needs to be hitting them at an astonishingly high level. And that's where the disconnect is. So either he becomes a very, very good shooter, seems unlikely, or he gets to a place mentally where he goes, you know, actually me taking these shots, even if they don't go in, helps my team more than me setting them up with hot potato passes when I'm sitting under the rim because I've lost all offensive focus. Like him being able to transition to that mindset is really the key. My confidence in him doing it is pretty low, but that's the key for him. It's not that he can't do it. It's that he can't. He doesn't believe that he can do it. And while those two things might seem like they're related, they sort of are, it's not completely the case. So it is really disappointing to see Simmons like that. But look, look these the event, people act like he's a complete spud. He's not. Look at these advanced metrics. They love what he does. His passing, his defense, even these per possession numbers, assists high, steals high, decent blocks. Scoring still not high, but not horrible. Re- good rebounder. But this is the problem. You have transition points per position. Horrendous. Pick and roll ball handler. Never runs it. Needs to, but he, because he can't shoot, he can't do it. Spot up. Horrendous. Pick and roll roll man. Why is that at, four, at 0.87%, 14th percentile? Horrendous. But isolation, post-up stuff, you know, handoff. He can have some moments. And he finishes at an extraordinarily high level. I'm not giving up on him. But it's not looking great at the moment for Simmons. It's not looking great at all. And I do think that the Sixers probably, and Simmons potentially, would be better off if he is in a different uniform next season. I don't know how it works or what you get back, but you have to be exploring that every single day until something happens. Danny Green is the next guy that we're going to talk about. And the Sixers have these three really good fantasy players, Embiid, Harris, and Simmons. And then things just drop off. Not quite to the same degree that they do with the Brooklyn Nets, but they drop off. Green was not quite a top 100 player for, for category leagues, 106th. Way worse in points leagues, 172nd. 28 minutes per game. He averaged 22 fantasy points. His value comes from the fact that he hits threes. He hit two and a half per game. And he gets steals. And he's also a very good shot blocker as a guard, 0.8. He only hit 41% from the field, though. 78 from the line on negligible attempts. And he hit 41% from three. So a three-point percentage league obviously boosts his value. But he's not going to be a scorer. He's not a rebounder. He's not a passer. He's a threes, he's a steals, he's a good blocks guy. That is who Danny Green is. Danny Green is also 34 years old. How many years left does he have at this level? I think doing what he did this year in the 26 to 28 minute a night role, probably won. His defense was still good. It's not at absolute elite level Danny Green numbers that we've seen in the past, but it's still really good. He can defend multiple positions and it hurt when he was out. It hurt the Sixers season when he was gone. I don't think there's any debate about that, that not having Danny Green out there you know, contributed to them losing. Not saying it was the sole reason. If they had had Green, they would have won. But it's obviously a big, um, a big issue. Green's still a very good shooter, a very good defender. Um, interior, ex- ex- exterior, perimeter is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, really good spacer and a key piece of a very good team, which is what Philadelphia is. So they should be looking to bring him back. Even if it's just a one-year deal, bring him back because he fits perfectly with what they need out on the perimeter. Um, and again, if you have like another shooter there instead of Simmons, another ball-handling shooter, then it actually helps Green quite a bit. He is going to stu- uh, suffer a drop-off. We saw that with JJ Redick this year in his shooting and in his defense, and then he becomes a totally useless player because he's not a volume guy at all, and that is going to drop his value quite a bit. But I-, I do still think that it can persist for at least one more year with Danny Green. 
The metrics are pretty up on him as well. Your true shooting 58 is not bad, but you look at his fantasy profile up there. Your steal's really good, block's really good, three-point is really good, and then not much else. But the uh, impact metrics, um, Raptor loved him. LeBron was pretty high on him. Defensively, they're all still pretty pretty bullish on what Green can provide, and rightfully so. He's still defended at a really high level during the course of this season. He was a player who was able to help his team get through to the playoffs, and our playoff coverage on Locked On NBA Network, Road to the Finals, is brought to you by Michael Labultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season, the NBA playoffs, the NHL Stanley Cups, they're in full swing, and you can track all of the action at Bet Online. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, and all of your UFC action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and use our promo code Locked On, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on sign up on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the title. Bet online are your online sportsbook experts. Okay, let's talk about Seth Curry brought in for Josh Richardson. It's the example of one of those trades that I mentioned before. Is it trading a guy who people thought were the better was the better player, Josh Richardson, in order to get a player that fit better? And Seth Curry. Now, at the end of this season, you'd say, well, Curry is the better player anyway because Richardson had a stinker in Dallas. But prior to this year, I think majority would have said that Richardson was probably the better overall player. Um, and Curry ended up being the much better fit. Seth is 31 years of age, though, so bear that in mind. He played 29 minutes. He had a really hot streak to begin the year, fell off completely after his bout with COVID, understandably, and came together pretty strong in the end. But overall, when we look at his fantasy impact, look, not a points league guy, 21 points per game. He averaged just 29 minutes, and he was 151st in category leagues, really, as a three-point specialist, hitting 2.2 per game. He averaged 12 points, which is okay, but he doesn't really do too much else. Two and a half boards, 2.7 assists, 0.8 steals is bad, never block shots. 90% from the line is awesome, but he attempts one per game. So he doesn't actually have any real impact at the free throw percentage category. It's about hitting threes. So is he a draftable type guy? Probably not. Just because all you're getting is that one category, the one most easily streamable category. Yes, he does it at high efficiency, but that is um, yeah, an easily replaceable category. And again, at age 31... Is he going to all of a sudden become a better rebounder, steals guy, assists guy, blocks guy, efficiency guy? Is all that going to improve? The answer to that question is probably a no. And that's not just the case for Seth Curry. That's the case for most players in the NBA that at age 31, you don't really get better. But as a 14-team league player, as a really good three-point streaming option, he's always going to be that guy for the next few years at least. Um, we know that he's just that unbelievable shooter. He's got gravity as a shooter as well. Defensively, I think that he's a little bit underrated. I think he can be solid enough. He can't really guard many different people, but he can be a solid enough um, defender, and he fit in that starting lineup. It was, again, the the idea of having Seth and Danny Green next to Ben Simmons, uh, but having then Simmons, Harris, and Embiid, who, you know, Harris and Embiid have decent percentages, but they're not high-volume three-point shooters. You need one of those guys to be considered better shooters, and then, of course, having Simmons out there creates a significant problems. But the theory that Mori was going for, I think, worked well with Curry, and they'll repeat it again this season. Just, it might not be alongside Ben Simmons. We'll just have to see how that goes. Yeah, Curry's impact numbers were okay. They were a little bit across the board in different areas. RPM really liked him, whereas LeBron and Raptor were probably a little bit more down. I think that's probably more accurate. We know his value comes in three-pointers made. His assists were all right this season, but again, with 
you know, Simmons handling the ball the majority of that time, you're never going to put the ball in Seth Curry's hands and ask him to create. But as a spot-up guy, as a ball handler, he had some good numbers. He's you know, pretty good at cutting off screens. He just does what he does, and that is be a really, really good shooter. Now we go from a really, really good shooter to an absolutely horrendous offensive player. Um, and maybe that's being a little bit harsh on the painter Matisse Thibel, but let's be fair. He's not a good offensive player. He is an unbelievable defensive player. We know that. He played 20 minutes a game. He averaged 15 fantasy points. That's almost 300th. But in category leagues, he was 163rd because of his ability defensively. He averaged 3.9 points per game. That is ridiculously low. Under two rebounds, one assist, but he missed out on a triple one because he couldn't hit enough threes. 1.6 steals, 1.1 blocks. He hit 42% from the field, 44% from the line, but to be fair, he attempted basically no free throws at all. He shot 30% from three. His true shooting was 51. Just abysmal offensive stuff from Matisse Thibel. But defensively, He's an all-defensive-level all player, rightfully so, because he's one of the best defenders out there. The problem is is that his offense is so, so bad that you can't actually have him out there for 30 minutes a night because his defense doesn't necessarily outweigh how bad that offense is. He was a 36% three-point shooter as a rookie, and that went down to 30 this year. He needs to get back to that mid-30s range, but somehow he lost even his ability to hit free throws down from 61 to 44. Of course, volume was non-existent, but he's never going to be a passer or a good rebounder, but he'll be an elite blocker, an elite steals guy for many years to come. Can you ever see, or not you, maybe, can you ever see him being a guy that plays you know, 30 minutes a night? I have some pretty significant concerns about that just because of how bad his offense is. I don't know that I fully trust that coming up. But if he does, then he's a guaranteed top 100 fantasy guy. But unbelievable defender. Blocks and steals through the roof. Just huge. Just cannot do anything on the other end. One of the best defenders in the NBA. One of the worst offensive players in the NBA. And trying to juggle that you know, is, is the challenge with Thibault. And trying to value him from a dynasty perspective, there's a challenge in that as well. Because... You need him to play 25 minutes a night to be a top 100 guy, but will that offense ever get to that level? I think ideally they'd like him to be a Danny Green replacement, but he's never going to be Danny Green as a shooter. I mean, Danny Green replacement as a as a defender. Um, but a long-term 30-plus minute pairing of Simmons and Thibault is, is unsustainable. You can't do it. You can't have those two guys out there. So maybe if Simmons gets turned into a CJ McCollum, then Thibault can be your non-shooter out there in a Tony Allen or But even Tony Allen was a better, much better shooter than this. So I think his ability to be a 30-minute-a-night starter is really, really in doubt because of that absolute offensive ineptitude. Now, somehow in LeBron, he was still 83rd percentile despite having 19th percentile offense because that's how good his defense is. Raptors, similarly, 90th percentile overall, but 38th on offense because that's how bad he is. Like these numbers are horrendous on offense. And look at these scoring stuff over here. He's, you know, efficiency and points per position numbers. Horrendous. But the big highlight there, steals per 75 possessions, 99th percentile. Blocks per um, 75 possessions, 93rd percentile. And that's what carries him. He's a steals and blocks specialist for fantasy leagues. And that has value. But pushing up further, I do have my doubts. 25, yes, he can do that. 30, but 30 for him is top 70. 25 is top 100. And I do think that he can have a couple of seasons of that. Let's talk about Shake Milton. If I could find my button, I'd uh, I'd play his song. 
Now, usually I'm not that bad at finding the button, but uh, struggled on that one. Shake Milton, 63 games, 23 minutes a night. One of the most hot and cold players in the NBA. 21 fantasy points. He was 219th in category leagues, 182nd in points leagues. He hit his free throws well, but what he does is score and nothing else. 13 points, two rebounds, three assists. He averaged 0.6 steals. He hit just one three a game at 35%. And yeah, I'll, I'll make a statement here. Tyrese Maxey should be getting his role next year. Milton has flashes, but Maxey's the guy you want in that role. Milton can't pass. He can score, but he does that yeah, too inefficiently and too inconsistently to be heavily relied upon to be that player. So I don't think that he was drafted 144 for some reason. I guess because yeah, they installed him as the starting point guard in the bubble last year, and then that went absolutely pear-shaped, and he was out of there pretty quickly. Uh, I don't think you can ever rely upon him to be a starter. Um, he's like a slightly better Frank Jackson in Detroit, a guy that just, you know, he has moments of getting hot and then moments of being invisible. And when he's hot, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. But you cannot rely upon that as a shooter, I don't think. I don't think I'd want Shake Milton in that role. And I would be, if I was Daryl Morey or Doc Rivers or both or either, I would be you know, really be looking for Tyrese Maxey to be taking this 25-minute role off the bench and supplanting most of Shake's minutes. Shake, again, can, he's not the greatest defender. I don't think he's a horrendous defender, but he's a high-usage player, which has its role on, on offense. I'm just not sure there's any scalability in what he does. He finishes well. His shooting is okay. He's a sort of a, an undersized shooting guard at this point who, you know, at his at his absolute best would hope that he could be Jordan Clarkson, but he's not at that level of scorer, but that's the player that he is. There's just too much lacking in so many of the areas for Shake Milton, I think. Advanced metrics despised him, really. 16th percentile on LeBron is horrendous. He was a negative Raptor player. Um, RPM had him about average. And Raptor had him about average as well, just, but not great numbers. And even as a scorer, his scoring efficiency numbers, true shooting of under 55 is pretty bad. And yeah, transition, terrible numbers. Pick and roll ball handler, really good. But um, yeah, his post-up, his isolation numbers for a scorer, they're like, that's bad. Off-screen work, really bad. Um, yeah, scored well. Assist, not bad on a, on a per-possession basis. But yeah, not enough rebounds, not enough three-point volume, not enough consistency in what he does that I don't really view him as a high-level long-term starter. Let's talk about George Hill now, who I'm pretty confident won't be on this team uh, this season. He had some moments this year starting the year in Oklahoma City as their starting point guard, had that thumb surgery, then never played for them again, went to Philadelphia um, and played a small role, but didn't also play particularly well. He's 35 already. 22 minutes a game, nine points, two rebounds, two and a half assists, no steals, no blocks. Uh, he'll be around somewhere. He won't have any real fantasy value, I wouldn't imagine, as we move forward, because he won't realistically find himself in the role that he found himself in with Oklahoma City this season, which enabled him to put up some okay numbers. But even then, they weren't particularly groundbreaking type performances from George Hill. So, um, yeah, look, when we're looking at him long term again, he is 35 already. Uh, I don't really just turn 35, but you know, he's a guy that maybe has another year or two of being a solid quality backup who is still a pretty good shooter, but not, not great. Um, playmaking and passing has never been his forte. He can be an okay defender, but again, at this advancing age, there are some concerns. He graded out okay in a lot of these metric metrics and a lot of his scoring stuff was all right. But in terms of being any sort of impact player, I'd say that ship has pretty much sailed on George Hill. 
Let's go on to Dwight Howard now. Who was the backup here? He started some games when Embiid was out, didn't start others. But I think what they wanted him to do, he was able to do it. Now, of course, as with so many situations, you know, when he has to share the court with someone like Ben Simmons, it's not going to work because they neither of them can shoot. 17 minutes a night for Dwight. He was 257th in category leagues. People drafted him unbelievably. I uh, don't know why they would have done that. Uh, 21 fantasy points per game. Really good rebounding numbers again from Howard. Uh, but overall, his impact is has been lessened. Seven and eight with 0.9 blocks in 17 minutes. 0.9 blocks in 17 minutes is not bad. 59% overall, but we know the free throws. They're consistently going to be the problem for Dwight Howard. But he is settling into his role of a backup center. That's what he does. He does it at a decently high level. Um, you know, working into that role really well, not expecting to be an offensive focal point like he thought he could be at earlier points in his career, but really good still interior defender, nice finisher, good rebounder, decent rim protector. That's what Dwight Howard is now. And in the occasions where he is pushed into a situation where he has to start, then if you're punting free throws, he can provide that value, but it's never going to be any sort of long-term scenario really for any team, I wouldn't imagine. Let's go to Ferky from Turkey, Furkan Korkmaz who is, again, one of those players very similar to Shake Milton, who can come out and get super hot. Um, but his lack of contributions in other areas always limits what he does. 55 games, 19 minutes, average 16 fantasy points outside the top 250 in both formats. Uh, nine points with two threes. He hit those at 38%, but no steals, rebounds, assists, scoring low, bad field goals, bad free throws. He's about to turn 24, so he's not like he's particularly young. I still think he's got yeah a decent NBA career ahead of him and some nice roles uh, to deal with. But realistically, he's a shooter who can be a solid piece as a spacer. Maybe eventually he can take that Seth Curry role on this on this squad. I, I think there's a possibility of that for Korkmaz, but he's not that level of shooter. He's not that level of playmaker or ball handler, and they are all concerns for uh, for Korkmaz's game. And he'll never be a consistent um, a consistent top level fantasy guy. Intriguingly, some really positive advanced numbers. Plus 2.3 Raptor, plus 0.9 LeBron, both in the 80th percentile, 83rd for LeBron, 80, 85th for Raptor. RPM didn't quite like him as much, but offensively, he had some really, really high grades. Good spot-up stuff, good post-up work, good pick-and-roll, roll man, working well off screens. There is something to... St- I think he can still get better. I think he can still develop. Whether that ever turns into something really good for fantasy, I doubt it. I think he is more of that Seth Curry, I'm just providing threes. But he does have an ability to get some steals, which is something that Seth doesn't do. So I wouldn't totally count him out having maybe a top 150 season at some point. Now, this next bloke I am really excited about, and that is... Tyrese Maxey, who I thought was picked way too late in the first round, and Philadelphia got themselves a real steal in that situation. So they'd be pretty happy. And then when Philadelphia was hit with COVID at the start of the year, Maxey was forced into big minutes, and I thought he responded really well. Now, in the end, he played 61 games, and he did drop off. But even when he came into the playoffs, he played well. 15 minutes, 14 fantasy points. Now, outside the top 300 is not good. We're well aware of that. He averaged eight points, two assists on 46 and 87 so that's a true shooting of 53 as a rookie, which is not bad. Hit his twos at 51%, which is a great number, but just 30% on three. That's the concern. I think that that can take a big step up next season. I think Maxi can take a big step up. I think he can be, I think he can transition, not next season, but in two to three years time, I think he's a 30 minute a night NBA starter. I really do have some high hopes for Tyrese Maxi. He's got an ability to get 
you know, be a six assist player, at 18 point per game scorer, maybe 20. I think he can hit two threes. I think he can be a 58 true shooting player. I am really, really high on where Maxi can go over the next couple of years. I was very impressed with what he did this season. Um, yeah, this is not to say that this is a guarantee of happening, of course. Um, but I'm very impressed with what I've seen from him. Um, defensively, I thought he hustled really well. The shooting, I still think there's is room to grow, obviously. But he was able to, above the break threes. That's the you know, pull-up type threes, 50th percentile. Like, that's not a bad number for a rookie. Um, yeah, he played in low spacing lineups, as you can see by this metric over here. Good usage as a rookie. I was just very impressed with what he was able to do. Now, the advanced metrics do not really like him at all. But offensively, they were impressed. 76th percentile in LeBron. 71st percentile on Raptor. And that's a really good start. Now, defensively, a lot to work on. That will come to a degree. He'll never be a great defender, but it will come. But seeing some nice bright uh, dark blues over here and some A grades on his scoring efficiency to be a scorer per position at a high level with decent assists... There's still some work to be done with his threes, obviously, and his shooting percentages, but there is something there. Now, will he ever be a top 50 guy? I would say probably not, but I was suitably impressed with Tyrese Maxey. Prison Mike Scott, I'm just going to quickly go through him. I don't really see him as an NBA quality player anymore. He's had moments in the past of being a, a, a really a really good shooter with not much else, but now, is he even that anymore? He hit 34% of his threes. He averaged four points in 17 minutes, Mike Scott. He would sub for Joel Embiid as a center, and you know, I don't think his defense is good enough for that. He didn't hit his free throws particularly well. I, I'd be really surprised if anyone's prioritizing bringing Mike Scott in um, next season to be a, a rotation player. I really, really would be surprised if, if that is the case. Still has some threat because of his reputation as a shooter, but you know that really hasn't been panning out for him the last couple of years, and the metrics hated him. And yeah, that's the eye test would say the same. Like he was absolutely horrible this season. Offensively struggled, defensively was okay, but still not particularly good. I just don't think that he is uh, really very good at all at this point in his career. And they'd be much better, um, much better moving on and trying to get someone else in there to develop. The next guy is very interesting um, because it is. Paul Reed, a second-round pick who put up insane numbers in college. And we look at his NBA numbers, and they're really hard to pass through because he just didn't play. Seven minutes a game, nine fantasy points, barely inside the top 400. But let's look at what he did in the G League because I think that's representative. Well, not representative. It's interesting. 22 and 12, yes. Two assists, two steals, 1.8 blocks, 44% three-point shooting. If that doesn't make you get absolutely excited, then I don't know what does. If you're taking flyers on guys, you know, Paul Reed as a four, who can average 22-12, two, two and two, and that's two steals, two blocks, on 44% three-point shooting. Not saying that's real, because it probably isn't. But he hit 79% of his free throws in the G League bubble as well. Like That should be absolutely intriguing. Can he ever be a starter? I wouldn't rule it out. Like He's 21. He's a pretty solid roller. He's got some shooting ability. Defensively, I thought he was very, very good. Never going to be an absolute star or high usage player. But I, you know, in the pre-draft process, I likened him to a poor man's Paul Millsap. And if he turns into that, look, there is a potential for a top 100 season for Paul Reed. It sounds hyperbolic, but there, there is, there is, a, there is a potential for that. Um, I don't know if he'll get there. 
but just absolutely someone not to rule out. You know, some of these second-round picks that barely played, we can say forget about it. Paul Reed, I'm not forgetting about. Even in the limited time that he played, look how much the advanced stuff liked him. LeBron liked him. Raptor liked him. Luck-adjusted RAPM liked him. There's some real positives there. Rebounds, steals, blocks, huge numbers there. Didn't hit any threes in the NBA, but that can come. I'm, I'm very interested to see where he goes. The last guy I'm going to talk about in depth here is Isaiah Joe, who another guy that I thought the Sixers did really, really well to get him at the position they did. And when they were hit with COVID, he was pushed into a larger role and he played well. Nine minutes a game only, six fantasy points. 3.7 points per game is rough. He averaged 0.9 rebounds and 0.5 assists. But he did hit 37% of his threes, which is really the selling point of Isaiah Joe as a guy that can come in and hit threes. Will he be able to do that consistently? I I don't know. But he, he did enough, and well, he's 20, he just turned 22. He did enough for me to be at least interested in him developing into a rotation player. I'll say that much. And it's all going to come down to shooting for him. I don't know what else he's going to do, whether he can be a good defender or not. I think there is some ability for him to become a good defender and a good hustle player. But as a high usage guy offensively, I'm not sure. But just, again, not a guy to rule out from being ending up being a rotation player. Some of his shooting stuff was pretty good in the NBA. And I do think that there is some room for him to get better. Now, the other players on this team, you know, Ray John Tucker, Mason Jones, Gary Clark, Anthony Tolliver, maybe Mason Jones, we have a little bit of faith in, but you know, Joe and Reed would be the two guys that I'm uh, a lot more interested in taking a look at. Guys, that'll do it. I talked about the Sixers for a long time. So don't forget to um, subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, or follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app while on YouTube. Go and hit the old uh, subscribe button down there. Ring the bell. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.